Australia's premier user experience design conference. This is UX Australia 2018. Zoe Rose is a UX designer and lead instructor for General Assembly and has worked with a range of companies and startups and not-for-profits across the UK and Australia. And is one of the speakers here at UX Australia 2018. Zoe, welcome. Hello, nice to be here. How did you get caught up in, in this world, this mad UX world, we call it? I misread a job description. <laughs> okay. No, that's, that's the literal truth. I misread a job description. The job was for a publishing company. And uh, I thought I was going to be reading fancy academic articles. And instead, this will be not very meaningful to most UXs, I ended up doing nine months of regular expressions. And that kind of took me into information architecture. Information architecture took me towards UX, and UX took me towards where I am today. And you've never looked back? Only in anger. <laughs> Look at your flourishing career and the people you've met along the way and the extraordinary journey that it's taken you probably to some uh, remote places in the world, no doubt. Oh, jeez. Australia being one of them. Yeah, Australia one. Um, I spent some time... Uh, Travelling around parts of Europe uh, for a project to do with an EU grant, it's not very exciting stuff. I would say yes, in, into a lot of places. But one of the things that I'm really excited about now um, is trying to bring together the two phases of my career so far. My original career was actually in teaching. And people who know me well know that I'm really interested in accreditation and that I believe that the time has come for UX to become an accredited industry. So looking forward into what do we do to responsibly train the next generation of designers, the ones who are coming up to fill this industry that we've built around us, that's, that's really inspiring for me at the moment. Your presentation here at UX Australia 2018 was on disability, disability as a driver of innovation in UX. And you say that that disability is is perhaps one of the strongest drivers for product innovation. Well, historically it has been. So we have a lot of examples uh, from history of inventions that were created for the purposes of helping some with a disability that just inadvertently seem to help a whole lot of people. So some of the examples that I go through in the talk are typewriters, uh, the telephone, punch cards. Uh, another one that, that comes up there, um, well, actually, you can, you can pretty much put email on the list as well, although that one's slightly more complicated. I didn't cover it in the talk, yeah. So all of those devices that we've come to know and love over the years were all designed for people with a disability. Yep. Uh, Some of them were designed for one specific person with a disability. The first typewriter was actually created for a blind married Italian countess um, called Carolina Fantoni di Fisiano by her friends who wanted her to be able to write to him secretly and privately. His name was Pellegrino Turi. We can't prove they were lovers, but that is my preferred version of the story, yes. I'm I'm not doubting it. I am not doubting it for a minute. Well, given this interesting history into invention and disability, it's brought you to 2018. Armed with that information, what are you hoping to achieve? Oh, I want to see disability first becoming a mainstream design practice. Uh, So one of the things that we like to do in UX, and with good reason, uh, is to plan around the dominant use case first. But there's this 
other way, this other route where looking at the outliers and looking at them in detail can generate uh, features for products and entire products that we would never think of by ourselves. I'm really excited to see that Microsoft, uh, who people who attended the talk will know I am a big fangirl in relation to, they're actually adopting this disability-first design as a standard part of their product development process. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that catch on, take off and spread. How then do we see uh, designing for disability in a radically different way, given that's your desire, that's your goal, but what are the steps in order to reach that goal? Uh, Microsoft has a maxim that they use on this, which is solve for one, extend to many. So the idea there is that if you can solve for someone with an acute problem, you solve for a lot of other people whose problems aren't immediate. So a classic example of this would be uh, if you can solve for a person who only has one arm because their other arm is missing, you've also solved for someone with a broken arm whose arm is in a sling. And you've solved for a mum or a dad who's holding a little baby. All of those people effectively have one arm. So, But if we can solve for the hard one, we solve for the easier ones too. Are there many people working in the similar field to you? Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people uh, have tried over the years to bring universal design into their practice what I'm interested in is seeing a change in the tide because for the last uh, 10 years or more a lot of our universal design practice has been based around meeting accessibility standards Uh, specifically and designers will know it the WCAG 2.0 and now 2.1 standard for accessibility. Now, the thing that I want us to start questioning is what kind of a role a technical standard should have for human-centered designers. Is it good enough? If we're going to call ourselves human-centered designers and people whose job it is to understand user needs first, is complying with a technical standard enough to say that we're meeting the user needs we claim to meet? I don't think it is, and that's why I'm really hoping for a renaissance in this area, for more people to start exploring disability-first design and seeing exactly how much benefit there is for everyone. And like I said in the talk, there's a lot of money at stake here. Uh, In Australia alone, the community of people with disabilities has about $54 million in discretionary income every year. That's play money. It's just play money. Um, But outside of that, worldwide, it's $8 You know, so even if we only came up with things that people with disabilities wanted to use, we could still make a lot of money for our products. But we know historically that if we make something that works for disability, it tends to work really well for everyone else too. So really, you can't lose on this one. What sort of questions have you received from those who uh, who sat in on your talk, in your presentation, or that you've you've had the chance to, to mingle or to talk to here at the convention here at the conference. Oh, um, how much does it cost? Is is a big one. Uh, so I've had uh, somebody who was asking a question about right. So it sounds fantastic to design for an outlier, but how can we prove that it won't cost too much money? Well, you 
can't really. It's an investment. Um, it's a different kind of investment from the discovery research investment we usually make, but I can't tell you that investment doesn't cost money because by definition it does. Uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, you've also worked with a range of companies, startups, not-for-profits across the UK and Australia, including the BBC. What did you do for the BBC? I wrote the curriculum ontology for the BBC. There are four national curricula in the UK because there are four nations in the UK and the BBC wanted a way that it could map out its content so it could be aligned to all of those four curricula. What was that like? Really hard. I burned through a lot of pens. Uh, I was w- I was living in Cambridge, but the office was in Manchester, so I used to go to my local coffee shop with these big reams of paper and these coloured pens, and everyone there thought I was doing some kind of demented art project, uh, just for hours. Yeah. Did you did you work for Cambridge University or? I, d- I did. I worked for Cambridge University Press the oldest uh, pu- oldest publishing company still operating in the world, I believe, yeah. And for also the government, the UK government? Yeah, I was at gov.uk for a short sprint too, yeah. What, what did you do there? Content design, best design there is, my favourite. Uh, content design is an emerging branch of design that has to do with what does it say and what work do the words do? So it's really uh, an exciting part of design, which I I really hope more people get on board with. What excites you about the next, say, five years? I hope we get design accreditation. Uh, I hope that we start to do a better job of skilling up our internal stakeholders in the organisations that we work with in and for so that more lay people have a better understanding of what design is for, what it does, uh, how they can contribute, maybe how they can get involved in it themselves. There's so many talented people who we're missing out on coming into the industry who we could really benefit from. And, yeah, just developing a better idea that there are these people called UX designers in the world and they don't do colouring in. Great to chat with you. Enjoy the rest of your time here at UX Australia 2018. And I'd like to apologise for all the visual designers who I just accused of only doing colouring in. I take it back. I didn't mean it. You're wonderful and you have skills that I do not have.